But I know you've got a massive list, a to-do list. Oh, I've got a to-do list as long as my arm, which is long. Mm. You're almost orangutan. I am. I've got ridiculously long arms. Mm. All all of my jumpers are half mast up my arm. <laughs> it's like they fit me in the body, but they never yeah, make Yeah, but you've got a tiny jumpers. body. I have a really tiny body and orangutan arms. God, what a word picture I'm painting. Um, <laughs> you don't have the orangutan belly, though. Let's no, be Joe just sees me swinging through the trees <laughs> on a daily basis. I've lured you in with some soft fruits to be recording today. Just come Bye, on. Nana. Come on. Come on. Lock the cage. Lock the cage. <laughs> oh, I'll going back to, going back to our it. friend with the circus almost. Oh, yeah. Can but, you remember his no, name? No, I can't remember his name. Woomwell. Woomwell. There you go. You loved him so no, hard. I didn't. He's probably your favourite person ever. I was really glad when he died. I know you were. Hey up. I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... The one thing I can promise you is that this story definitely does not take place at any point in the Victorian era. How about that? I don't believe you at all. No Victoria. All my stories are in the Victorian age. No, 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 this isn't. Either they... Hit the beginning, or they they're just pulling out of the station, or they're just smack bang in the middle. No. Okay. And do you know what's even more unusual? No. I'm not starting this story with a statement. I'm starting it with a question for you. I'm asking <laughs> you a question. You didn't tell me I needed to answer things. I know nothing. <coughs> Emma. You. When was the last time? the British Isles were invaded by a hostile foreign power. Um, Boots on the ground of these fair isles of ours. It'd be the Norman invasions, wouldn't it? And when was that? I haven't got a bloody clue. <laughs> <laughs> I Fair don't enough. know, but it was it was the Germans, wasn't it? It was the bloody Normans. Right. Are, are you going with the Norman invasion of 1066? Possibly. Yes. Are you sure now? No. No. <laughs> no, because do you know what? History ain't my thing, as I repeatedly say. But I'm going to say that that's possibly the last one I can remember even covering, but I only did history up to year eight. And you are very much like m- probably most of the population thinking that the last time invaders set foot on English soil was 1066, William the Bastard coming over. But I don't think it was them. Why? Who do you think it was? <laughs> Why do I want to say the Irish? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just imagine it just being... It's not going to be the bloody Vikings. No, no. Um, the last Viking invasion was about three weeks before the Norman invasion. We weren't invaded by the Germans in the war times. No, we weren't. I think just by sheer luck rather than anything else. Um, were we invaded by the French? Were we? <gasps> Maybe. Because... I imagine, I imagine whoever invaded us last didn't live that far away and just thought we'd just have a, a wee crack at it, which is why possibly I'm thinking the Irish. It's It's amazing how well you've worked all of this out. Because <laughs> you'll see why. Okay. This story takes place during the war of the first coalition one of the more famous wars okay it was actually one of the precursors to the napoleonic wars right okay specifically this story takes place in february 1797 Mm. which you must agree is pre-victorian it is because by february 1797, France had been a republic for just over four years. It was the bloody French. And it had spent most of this time being at war with the rest of Europe. This was mainly due to the fact that the other crowned heads of state were kind of worrying that if the new French republic were allowed to succeed, then they may also be in danger from their own dissatisfied populations. Mm. So it's like, hmm, if people see that they don't actually need us because it's going so well, Mm. Mm. 
maybe they won't listen to us when we try to tax them. Do the send French them to listen war? to anybody? Well, this is where it started. This is where it starts, <clears throat> yeah. This is it. Mm. Much like the short-lived English Republic under Cromwell, France found itself rapidly isolated and responded by investing heavily in the military. Mm-hmm. This took the form of preemptively declaring war on Austria and executing the king in January 1793. Who was the king? Uh, this would be Louis the Sixteenth. Uh, they only actually got round to executing him because there was an attempt by Prussian forces, not Russian, Prussian, yeah. one of the German states, yeah. uh, to restore him to the throne. So the, the Prussians tried to send an army in to, to retrieve the king. They Fair were enough. repelled. Yeah. And the revolutionary leaders went, well, if he's still here, people are going to have another crack at freeing him. And they've only got to succeed once. We've got yep. to succeed every time. So we may as well just take him off the board. Yeah, let's just wipe him out. And they did. In this big game of chess we call life, let's just take him out. He was taken out. Actually killing the king, though, led to Spain, Naples, the Netherlands, Britain, the Holy Roman Empire, Portugal, and even, even the Grand Duke of Tuscany. Amazing. Because apparently Tuscany had its own Grand Duke at this time. Um, I imagine he had a massive moustache. I I can go with that, yeah. Let's... And a weird hat. A weird hat, okay. <laughs> massive moustache, weird hat. Yeah. Uh, but they all decided to declare war on France for the effrontery of killing that king they'd deposed. Well, they were just getting a bit too big for their boots, weren't they? And they, and they did something silly, so they needed to be told. What, the French? Yeah. Okay, well, they weren't particularly bothered by having all of these um, foreign powers declaring war on them because they had a trump card to play. Mm. Urgent letters were sent to the newly formed United States of America. Right. The Americans had won their own revolutionary war a decade earlier with more than a little help from the French. I don't really know about a lot of the American War of Independence. The French sided with the Americans because they liked the idea of breaking up um, sort of British interests over there. Fair enough. Um, so that's why you get things like Lafayette Square and all these French sounding names. Oh, right. Because the French were really quite, um, in terms of providing supplies, in terms of providing military Pompadour's a word you hear, hear and, and see around quite a lot in... Uh... In America. In America. Hmm. Pompadour. Pompadour. It's fun to say. It is. Maybe that's why. That's why that one stuck around. It's like, yeah. Pompadour. Yeah. But yeah, so they basically thought, ten years ago, we helped you beat the English. Uh, now is the perfect time for you guys to return the favour and to stand up for the ideals of freedom, equality, the rights of man, in which they so fervently believe in America to this day. I think... The USA need to rein their ruddy neck in at the moment. Well, and I'm just going to leave that there because otherwise I'm going to start getting cross and politic again. <coughs> we're not talking about now, we're talking about then. They possibly needed to do it then as well, but you know. Hmm. Well, on April 22nd, 1793, mm-hmm. the first ever president, George Washington himself, he of mm-hmm. the terrible wooden teeth and secret slavery, took. Secret? It's not secret if everyone knows. No, people didn't think he had slaves, but he did. Everyone knew. They just didn't want to say. Anyway, George Washington, we can agree he had terrible teeth. He took decisive action. Signing the Proclamation of Neutrality. No idea what that means. That means nothing. That's just garbled nonsense. The Proclamation of Neutrality. So the French asked him for help and he signed a proclamation saying, we are officially neutral we are not getting involved we are not going to be on the french side we are not going to be on the rest of europe side we are staying far away oh well done mahogany sideboard from this problem <laughs> not only did he say the um the states in terms of the government won't be getting involved he made it uh, illegal for any citizen to even send supplies over to the french so they would be prosecuted to the full extent of the law if they lifted a finger to help the French which is just brilliant isn't it just one of those friends that takes 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 and when the chips are down they give nothing back well 
The arguments over this decision are covered in the musical Hamilton in a song called, exciting song title, Cabinet Battle 2, which is a rap battle. Um, I've never seen Hamilton. I I don't really like musicals. Mm. I find them cringeworthy in the extreme. Yeah. How about... They make me want to scream. People rapping about... Uh, the Founding Fathers. No. Does that not take you? Well, no. anyway, Hamilton was an absolute piece of shit. And it's really sort of um, gone back to make him look a lot better than he was, let's Fair say. Enough. If you Fair actually enough. read or, or learn about Alexander Hamilton, he was a How bad person. How many times does this happen, though? It's like they pick a name from history and without doing any of the, you know, the due diligence in terms of his backstory, mm. prop him up as some kind of amazing person and then all the historians that actually do the legwork go, what are you on about? Because it's it's nice to have a nice narrative. And in Rap Battle, uh, Cabinet Battle 2... Rap Battle 1. Yeah. Cabinet Battle 2, they don't mention the fact that one of his main arguments against helping the French, Alexander Hamilton, Mm -hmm. was he didn't want Britain and Spain to start stirring up the indigenous Americans against the USA. So it was all just... Vest, you know their own interests so it was racism yes it was if right. we help the french then the british will start getting all of the native americans who have genuine grievances against us let's say yes um all hot and we, we could do and without angry. we could do without them trying to take back their lands um or you know just getting us to hold to the treaties that we signed with them those kinds of things with no help coming the French authorities implemented mass conscription in 1793, when hundreds of thousands of French men were forced to join in the fighting. Yeah, I'm really glad that I don't have to worry about mass conscription for my life. Yet? No. I'd rather take him out of the country if that was the case. I I will literally relocate if that's the case. Wow. Yeah. My my boy ain't going in no army, tell you now. And if he chooses to go in the army nope. of his own volition when nope. he's 18 and an nope. adult... Still my baby and I say no. And that's the end of it. Okay. And you think he'll go along <laughs> with that, do you? Yes. I might have to sh- stand on a chair to shout at him, but yes. Yes. Listen to your mother, boy. Mother knows best. <laughs> that song's about someone who wasn't a mother <laughs> and did not know best. I know. I d- what did you take from the film Tangled? Just, this, <laughs> this teenage runaway, this ungrateful little this ungrateful bitch. What is she doing? She's being clothed and housed. She has beautiful golden hair <laughs> without a knit in sight. Yeah. God. That woman's looked after her. Well, to be honest, you need to actually, you know, be allowed into the outside world to contract knits. <laughs> Probably. That's why you she can let tell I'm a, a primary school age where my, my primary concern is not catching nits. It's like, I tell you now, I tea tree oil our children every day you before do. they leave the house. Blah. Anyway, Grim. can we get back to the French? I've, and the, I've forgotten what we're talking about. We're talking about the French and they're having to fight the rest of Europe post-revolution. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. The conscription, even though you would have been mm. again it, Mm-hmm. It proved to be pretty successful as far as the land war was concerned. Right. With Belgium surrendering to the French in 1794. However, the British, as is our wont, were using the chaos on the mainland to sneak off and begin taking all the French territories in the West Indies, such as Martinique, St Lucia, and even Guadeloupe. Yeah. Because that's how the British roll. Like, yeah. Ah, I, see, I see there's all of this going on. We're just... We'll be over Look, here. A distraction. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> in we come. <laughs> it's amazing how sneaky we were to be, considering we, considering we were still in the age of the red coats. I know. I mean, <laughs> as as uniforms go, red isn't the sneakiest colour. I'm just going to say we were quite loud and proud. Oh now, God! The emergence of a great military leader called Napoleon Bonaparte ensured that the land wars continued to go the way of the French. Tiny little cross man. He wasn't. He was taller than me. And I am the average height of a male at five foot four. I am <laughs> I am the right height. So if anything, Napoleon Bonaparte was a big one. Yeah, yeah. We we say compact and there's nothing to waste. <laughs> <It's> the <telling. laughs> 
<laughs> there is. <laughs> I'm overburdened. Anyway. Yes, so Napoleon Bonaparte, he's making sure that France are winning battles left, right and centre mm-hmm. when it came to the land war. However, the newly installed government, known as the Directory, which is the most sinister-sounding organisation. Who runs France now? The Directory. Do you know what image instantly came into my mind? Mm. It was nondescript men in black suits. Yeah. No, I, I got that same sort of sinister... Like grey men. Secret government vibe. Yeah, just kind of like no-face people mm. in black suits. Bay, what do you want, darling? It's get fine. down. She'll get down when she's ready. Well, the Directory... If, if you need to imagine them all as like a symphony of grey, that's fine. Ooh. They decided they needed some way to counter the British threat on sea. Okay. Were we a threat on sea? I oh, suppose yeah, we, we were. were. I suppose we were a we massive were. naval power at this point. Yeah. They reasoned that a rebellion against the British rule in Ireland would do the trick. Okay. And it was proposed that a French expeditionary force of 15,000 soldiers would be landed in Munster to support the newly formed Society of United Irishmen, who were advocating for an independent national government. Is there a place called Munster in Ireland? It was one... I think they've um, renamed it, because it's now um, county systems, isn't it? Yeah. I think it was a collection of counties in the south of the country were known as Munster. Amazing. I love the name Munster. If I have another cat, I'm going to call it Munster. Well, after South Ireland. No, after Herman Munster. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to wait for you to drink your cup of tea because you're holding a ceramic cup in front of the microphone and talking, yeah. talking into the cup. Yes, but I like to talk into the cup. <laughs> yeah, so there was a, um, basically a bunch of people native to Ireland yeah. had seen what had happened in France and went, ooh, we could do something similar. I don't think we need to be ruled from London anymore. Okay. And they were going to get themselves a national government of their own. Mm-hmm via what they mysteriously described as a benevolent conspiracy. A coup? They also would refer to it as a plot for the people. A coup? Mm. Okay. They're going to try try and do a coup. Okay. But it's a benevolent conspiracy. I love that description. (laughs) Are you planning a coup? We have a benevolent conspiracy going on. Mm. It's for the people. (laughs) For the people? By the people, for the people. By helping to create this independent and republican Ireland, the French would have a loyal ally, is what they hoped, Okay. who could menace the English from the West Coast. So the English couldn't just be focused on, you know, picking off the French interests because they'd have to be defending their own borders. Do you know what? When I said Ireland, I wasn't Mm. a million miles off, was I? You're not off at all. That's why I said you mentioned France and Ireland. Mm. It's like, ooh, yes. And do you know what? There's been many times when the French and the Irish have almost worked together in history. Mm. They never quite actually get round to it. Well, yeah, because if you think about it... After the Thierry Henry handball um, a few years ago that kept Ireland out of the... Was it the Euros or the World Cup? I don't think they ever will work together. No. That kind of ended it. But there were times. French darling Thierry Henry. Mm. Um, No, I'm... (laughs) Bababoom. <laughs> Bababoom, indeed. Now, if you think about it, they've kind of got England cornered mm. between the two of them. So mm. if you're going to get two nations working together... Yeah. And I'm sure you could incite the Scots to rebellion. I mean, we're, we're not too long after the Act breadth. of Union at this point in history. They're a hair's breadth away at any given moment to the Scots. Mm. So, you know... if Which is terrifying because I think <laughs> we'd be the first to go. If you get the, all I'm saying. If you get the French ready to... Um, have a land army come across the channel one way you've got the Irish coming the other way you know the Scots are going to join in <laughs> from the Highlands they will sweep down oh the Black da-da, Watch da-da. here they come terrifying terrifying yeah. Highlanders anyway a plan was developed by a revolutionary leader called Louis Lazare Hoche Ush. 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 I, don't, I don't know I'm going to say Hoche but if you want to refer to him as Ush. Ish. That's fine too. <laughs> He's dead, so he can't take offence. I didn't do French, I'm just guessing. <laughs> just saying. No, you're Inspector Cluzoing, is what you're doing. Ish. Wait for you to have another victory <laughs> sip on your brew before we move on. I've got quite a prickly throat today, I keep needing to drink. 
<laughs> now that you said prickly throat, I do. So it was developed by Louis Lazare Hoche. Mm. He would be in command of the 15,000 French troops who would land in Bantry Bay in Ireland to support the Republican forces in overthrowing British rule. Very good. Meanwhile, though, to support this action, two smaller forces would be sent to Newcastle and Liverpool, respectively, as diversions in order to give the main force time to gain a secure foothold before British reinforcements could be sent across the Irish Sea. Okay. Two suicide missions, if you will. Pardon me. Sorry, that was can a you imagine Sorry. trying to land a small contingent of French forces in Newcastle upon Tyne? Nope. No, knowing that nothing else is coming, that this is literally to try and distract people. You might get maybe 5,000 people sent with you. Mm. 5,000 soldiers against Newcastle. Hmm. Mm. It's Good not, luck. It's not going to end well. Good luck. In order to maximise the opportunity... We're rough in the north is all I'm going to say. We're a different breed. <laughs> it's like you don't piss us off, I tell you. In order to maximise the opportunity for secrecy and to gain the element of surprise, mm. General Ush decided to launch the operation in the middle of winter. That doesn't bother the northerners. Mm. Sailing for Ireland in December of 1796. Off you trot. Because even the English are like, no, we'll just <clears throat> we'll just go in port for three, four months. Not yeah, in not stupid. All the Geordie lasses still out. Even then. Even then with the high heels, yep. slap a tan skirt, boob tube. Yeah, they just don't feel it. They don't feel the cold. They don't feel it. I tell you now, northerners, we don't feel the cold at all. I do now. Maybe now we've Northerners got in the 20s. Northerners in the 20s. Not and then you get the 30s and go, oh my God, we live in a shithole. Yeah, but still, we're still quite hardened to it. It's surprising. Mm. You know, you get a cold day down south and they're crying. <clears throat> anyway, General Ush and his invasion fleet, they're yep. in the middle of the Irish Sea in December. Uh and they did manage to make it to the coast of Ireland without being detected because they'd gone during winter. Very good. But would you believe... A bit nippy and choppy out in the Irish yeah, Sea, though. Would you believe that the weather, when they arrived, mm. you know, in, inside of the Irish coast, mm. was a bit terrible? Doesn't surprise me at all. It was, it was very windy. Mm. Stormy, some mm. might say. It was so terrible, in fact, that the fleet was scattered all up and down the Irish coast, and not a single soldier could make it from the ships to the land so they could see Ireland. But in terms of launching a small boat from the ships and trying to make it those, you know, last half mile, mm. it was impossible. This None of this surprises us at all as... What coastline do we live on? Mm. Well, we're on the other side of the Irish Sea. Exactly. And it is rough as... Mm. And it is cold, and it blows... And it's horrendous. Well, realising that any further attempts to land his forces would likely result in significant casualties, Mm -hmm. General Ush, Ush. he ordered that the fleet return to France and possibly try again in the spring or summer of 1797. Right, so they've just had a bit of a jolly boys outing. They've had a bit of a jolly boys outing. (laughs) They've they've had to spend Christmas on a boat in the Irish Sea for no real purpose, and now they're going back to France... Yeah, with a tail between the legs and possibly feeling incredibly ill. Mm. (laughs) Naturally, with no need to provide a distraction anymore, Mm. the force that had been about to attack Newcastle on the northeast coast had also, probably very gratefully, (laughs) turned back for France. Yeah. Because it would have been insane to have continued with the part of the plan. What, going to attack the Geordies? To provide a distraction for an invasion that's no longer taking place. Well, yes, that's suicide. It's it's not, not a good idea, is it? which brings us Mm. to the leader of the second diversionary force a man with the very un-French name of William Tate okay William Tate was an Irish born American Mm. who had been recruited by the French in 1793 to raise an army to capture Florida from the Spanish Right. Let and that sink in. I'm with you so far. Go on. The Let's French, not complicate the that. The French either. hired an Irish-American to raise an army of Americans yeah. to capture Florida 
from, from the, the Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. Okay. Now, he'd been advised to recruit men from outside of the United States. But as he only spoke English, he decided that he would ignore this and he would recruit men from the rural communities of North and South Carolina. Okay. It turned out, though, shocker, that trying to raise an army of American citizens to act for a foreign power was considered to be treasonous by the newly formed American government. Fair enough. You're raising an army for France Mm. within our country. Yeah. Hmm. Will you... Can you be can you be treasonous if there's not a monarchy? Treason is against the government. Oh right, is it right? Okay. I always thought treason was against the was against the the royal. That's power. high treason. Right. You can be treasonous against against a, a government, and he was considered to be quite treasonous. Uh, within eighteen months of being given his orders to capture Florida, William Tate was forced to flee to France. And Florida did not become an American territory until the Adams Honest Treaty of eighteen twenty one. No, it's one of the it's one of the later states, mm. isn't it, Florida? They, yeah, they it, they got they got traded it, and you you question mm. now whether the Americans got a good deal. Mm. I mean, it's Florida. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen in Florida. Mm. All of this meant, though, that William Tate was in Paris right when the revolutionaries needed someone to take charge of an incredibly dangerous mission to stage a mock invasion of Liverpool. So, failing trying to attack the Geordies in Newcastle, you're now going to go for the Scousers. Well, no, the, the plan was always to, to launch a double-pronged attack on yes, Britain. Yes, I, I, know, I know this, but it's just like, OK. I mean, I mean good luck. <laughs> good luck. Is, good I, luck. I, I, mean, I, mean it, I mean that with all my heart. Good luck. Mm. <laughs> Being Irish himself... Tate was a firm believer in Ireland becoming a republic. He also had a personal grudge against the English because his family had been killed by pro-British indigenous Americans during the American War of Independence. So he gratefully accepted the opportunity to command a battalion and undertake the dangerous mission. This man's just angry. Oh, very. Yeah. But he's. this is his chance for retribution. He's like, I don't care. So long as I get to kill some Englishmen... Yeah, That'll I just, do I me just right. think that he'd, he'd just happily do that, full stop, end mm. of. That's his. That's it. Overlooking his anger issues, the French really liked his, you know, his gumption, his, uh, okay. his enthusiasm for the task. Mm. And he was given command of around 1,400 men to stage his invasion. That was his Against total. Liverpool? Well, initially against Liverpool, but basically against all of England. He wasn't going to get any reinforcements. Oh he was a distraction. God. He had 1,400 men. A force... It's a kamikaze boat. No, you're like this, though. The force were referred to as the Black Legion. Right, OK. Just giving something a terrifying name doesn't mean it's terrifying, OK? Well, you, you'll you agree the name's pretty cool. Mm, not as... Not, not as scary as the other blokes. I didn't say scary. I said cool. Mm, yeah. Well, the reason behind the I name the reason behind the name definitely wasn't cool. Right. More than half of the legion were prisoners and convicts who had been forcefully drafted against their will. Oh no, no. And naturally, not wanting to waste their best equipment on criminals, the French had given them equipment that had been salvaged from British supplies during a previous engagement. Right. The men then had to dye the red British uniforms themselves and discovered that the only thing that would cover it up was black. Oh, my God. So they've got ill-fitting former British uniforms that they had to just continually dye until they didn't look red anymore. I hate... I I absolutely hate ineptitude, and this is just reeking of it from start to finish. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so... With a convict force dressed in badly dyed clothes and using barely serviceable equipment salvaged from the enemy. Second-hand equipment, second-hand uniforms, not enough people, and they're going into Liverpool. Yeah. Good luck. William and his men embarked at the port of Camaret onto Mm. four ships that would take them around the coast of Britain to their landing point near Liverpool. Right. William was so excited to finally have a chance to take some revenge on the English. Yeah. 
that when he received word that both the actual invasion of Ireland and the mock invasion of Newcastle had been called off, mm. he didn't see any reason why he couldn't continue with his part of the plan. No, do you know what? At this point, <laughs> it is, just let him get on with it. He's like, Because well. there's no helping some people, Joe. <laughs> there is simply no helping them. He's got a bee in his bonnet. I don't know if he thought that he could stage an invasion that was so successful that by the time spring came around and the other forces were able to, you know, have another crack at it. You're giving the benefit of the doubt of foresight to this man. Are you kidding me? He will have created a beachhead. Not only will he have taken Liverpool, Birkenhead will have fallen. (laughs) McGull. McGull. (laughs) (laughs) He'll have pressed as far inland as Nosley. Taking the safari park. <laughs> he's he's going to have created such a problem that the English will not be able to look even to the Irish Sea. Oh, I'm crying. Let alone beyond it. That's what... <laughs> I am convinced that is what is in William Tate's mind at this no, point. No, I'm not even going to give him the benefit of foresight on this one. I just think he's just so... Somebody hurt him and he's now so angry. He can't see Woodford trees and he's just going in all guns blazing in his shitty uniform with his crappy equipment and not enough men. <laughs> well, <laughs> just, I'm calling a spade a spade. This is an absolute joke. <laughs> I'm crying. Well, oh. <laughs> well, well, you'll be pleased to know he did change his plans. <laughs> Because he looked at the situation and he thought, do you know what? On reflection, (laughs) Liverpool is not a significant enough city for me to invade. No. He was confident enough to insist that instead of Liverpool, his force should land at Bristol, which was the second biggest port in the entire country at the time, behind only London itself. So he's like... (laughs) Liverpool's too... It's small beer. It's not enough of a challenge for a military genius like me. He wouldn't have even gone within sniffing distance of the docks on the River Mersey before those thousand men would be dead. I'm just telling you now. I am giving the Scousers props here. He's not going to the Mersey. He's going to Bristol (coughs) because he, he needed a bigger challenge. I mean... Don't forget, the French had previously trusted him to take the entirety of Florida and had probably given him, you know, enough equipment to... And he failed. Well, he he never actually even got... He didn't get to Georgia, let alone Florida. He didn't get out of the Carolinas. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, Landlocked, by the way, mm. North and South Carolina. Well... Landlocked. He didn't get out of the, the Carolinas. Don't worry, he's not in charge of the ships. There are French ship captains who are taking him. So he had to have an interpreter tell the captains that they weren't going to Liverpool anymore. They were going to Bristol. Yeah, but essentially he's he's given himself... They wouldn't be this term because this is a very British term. But he would be Admiral of the Fleet is essentially the the title he's given himself. No, no, no. He's only in charge of the land forces. He has nothing... The, the boats are in French command. They are... Yeah, but they're not because he said no and they've no, gone, he's... all right then. They, they, they don't care. He is a distraction. They it doesn't should matter. care. It doesn't matter if he dies in Liverpool or no, if he dies in Bristol. No, it's not just him then. Though is it? It's a thousand other poor buggers Convicts. and the cats. Okay, and why are the captains going to be saved? Because they're not landing. They are dropping these guys off and then sailing back to France. You're assuming that the English are going to let them <laughs> you're getting, debark. You're getting very angry. The French are just like, we're just going to drop you off near whatever Fucking major city idiots. you want. Then we are scarpering. We are done, okay? No. And he's confident enough. He's like, no, I don't need a backup plan. I don't need a place to retreat to. I'm happy with this. Muldoon's picnic... I'm telling you. As the four ships, competently crewed by French sailors who were going to be doing none of the actual invading, sailed around the southwest tip of England, they managed to capture several merchant vessels. Right. This had nothing to do with the land forces, by the way. This was all the French sailors. Of course. 
But William naturally took a lot of the credit for this, and it boosted his confidence. So look at how great we are. I can't wait till this guy's either captured or dead. Come on. I I can't be dealing with the incompetency. It's just unreal. Unfortunately for Tate, (laughs) despite his confidence, much like General Osh, he found that his ships were struggling to make any headway in the rough Irish Sea as they tried to traverse the western coast of Britain. Eventually, he had to give up on the Bristol Channel and decided instead that they would land at some point uh, in Cardigan Bay on the coast of Wales. I was going to say they'll end up near Cardiff. Well, they're, they're further up and round. Oh, they're further up and yeah. round, right. They couldn't okay. get anywhere near the Bristol Channel, honestly. Oh, right. They got pushed. They just kept getting pushed north. And oh he, they couldn't get back down below Wales. So eventually he just said, fuck it. Take so, me to the Welsh coast. I'll figure it out from there. And then he's got his option. Because he can either go north to Liverpool if he wants to, or he can head south to Bristol, depending on how he feels. Good luck. Mm. I mean, you're not really invading Britain, landing in Wales. There's no bugger there. I was going to say, it did seem an odd choice. (laughs) It's just loads of sheep. Considering their entire mission was to cause as much disruption to the British as possible, and the fact that the nearest major city to the landing point chosen was Cardiff, which was nearly 100 miles away. Yeah. So they'd have to march 100 miles over land to get to the nearest place where they could over, cause a hullabaloo. And let's just, let, <laughs> let's just paint a word picture to those dear listeners that have not been to Wales. It's quite hilly. It's hilly. It's rugged. It's it's sparse. a collection. Yeah. Uh, aside from the major population centres, it yeah. is very sparsely populated. There's, what's the five million Welsh, five to six million Welsh people? In total, in, and in total, and the majority of those are live Cardiff, in Newport, Swansea. Yeah, um, and then you've got a couple of smaller towns, but not much really. Um, I, and the way the way they're landing, where they've landed, oh, they've not landed yet. No, I know, but if they were to land on the Welsh coast, mm. it's a bit unforgiving. Ooh, is that foreshadowing? I think so. Let's see. Regardless of the fact that it was a terrible change to the plan, even as bad as the plan was, it was a terrible change. On the morning of Wednesday, February... Um, Wednesday, the, February? On the morning of Wednesday, February the 22nd, yeah. 1797, on. the four French ships sailed into Fishguard Bay. Fishguard. I knew there was a port in Wales and I, it wasn't <clears throat> coming to me. It's on our game. Almost immediately, having rounded the point, Mm. they heard the cannon firing from the fort overlooking the harbour and assumed (laughs) that they had been spotted. William took the decision to ask the French um, captains to just sail a few miles further down the coast rather than risk being bombarded as they tried to land. Right. Now, in actuality, the forces at Fishguard had not noticed the ships. They were simply running drills and had happened to fire the cannon at that moment. Fair enough. I thought something like that might have happened. Yeah, so it's just an unfortunate sort of yeah. uh, coincidence. Although people have been reporting the presence of four French ships in the area, yeah, no one there's... knew that they had made it all the way to the coast of Wales. Probably somewhere up and down the west coast of England, there's a bloke. In who's Devon gone, and Cornwall, they said. Who the bloody hell is that? Well, I don't know. Well, should we say. Well, I'll send note. And. So up and down the no, coast. Devon and Cornwall had said they'd seen a French, a series of French ships going round the headlands, but they mm. didn't know where they were going. No one had assumed they'd get all the way up to Wales, and no one thought that they would land in Wales because why, why? would you land in Wales? So at this point, you're, you're barely even going to cause a ripple. They do have the element of surprise at this point. Yeah, I suppose you could call it that if you're going to be kind. <laughs> it was eventually decided by William that as the weather was actually all right that day, it would be safe enough to land the men and the supplies at a place called Carigwastad Point. I hope you've said that right. Yeah. Which, judging on what happens next, I'm assuming means craggy wasteland point. Because <laughs> it was less sandy beaches, you know, yeah. <laughs> rolling sand dunes. We'd, Wales don't do rolling sandy beaches. They, they did a good line there, though, in it inhospitable cliffs and raggedy rocks yeah the men headed for the shore regardless of this in 17 boats one of which yeah 
the one that happened to be transporting most of their artillery pieces, so their big field guns, oh it sank. Oh, However, sick. despite this small snafu, if you're trying to launch an invasion, yeah. uh, they managed to get almost all of the men ashore right. with 47 barrels of gunpowder, 50 tonnes of cartridges and a shed load of grenades, all along with a couple of thousand flintlock muskets. So they were tooled up. Okay. What they'd saved on the uniforms... <laughs> They'd heavily invested into, into the uh, ammo situation. Oh, dear Lord. Now, although they managed to make it to the shore, mm. the first thing that this invading force needed to do was to scale the cliffs. Right. Th- did I not, dear listeners and Joe, did I not describe this to you? This mm. is what Wales is like. It's, it's quite harsh. It's a very harsh landscape. And it is all cliffs, it's rocks, it's hills and mountains. And not rolling hills, like pretty hills. We're talking like harsh hills. I mean, they've got the work cut out. And they're carting all that stuff as well. Yeah, oh, there. Because when I'm saying, you know, like there's 47 barrels of gunpowder, they now needed to get 47 barrels of of gunpowder over the Welsh mountains and up the cliffs, yeah. They did manage, eventually, to lug all the equipment up, but they did lose eight men in the process. Doesn't surprise me. I bet falling, they got halfway Falling up, from the cliffs. Falling from the cliffs, being flattened by barrels of gunpowder on the way. Oh, I never even thought about... I thought about the men falling. <laughs> like, just equipment, just... Yeah. <laughs> As he's trying to scale and the barrel's at the top and they lose grip of the barrel and it comes down that man that man's jam yeah he is jam man he's jam man under a barrel well minus eight and whoever was in the boat with the artillery pieces so maybe you've lost a dozen two dozen at most but they've they've made it and that's two dozen people not lost in battle that's two dozen people lost cause yeah cause of ineptitude yeah yeah that was still as good as it got for William Tate and his invasion. They were on top of those cliffs. <clears throat> they could see the green fields of rural Wales laid out in front of them. And yeah. they were like, breathe it in, boys. It's beautiful. And it's it, beautiful. Mm. Wales is beautiful, but harsh. Yeah. Well, they didn't know that yet. And William Tate, he happily waved off the French ships. So, we don't need you now. Goodbye. And the French captains probably even before the last boat had been launched, were uh, already getting the sails ready. Yeah, absolutely. Let's it's get like, the there's fuck barely out of here. that last man's foot <laughs> was barely off the gangplank before he was already re-rigging everything and setting a course for home. Like, Do you want us to bring the boats back to the... No, 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 no. We'll, we'll just get some new ones in France. Bye. We See got... ya. Love you. Bye. Yeah. Want to um, be home for Easter. Bye. Mm. He then, having waved off the ships, sent his lieutenant, Barry St. Ledger, Come on, Barry. to find a good place to establish a headquarters. In Wales? Yes. Right. They headed inland for about a mile, where they stumbled upon Treehowl Farm. Right. Treehowl? Treehowl Farm. Treehowl, right. Treehowl. T-R-E-H-O-W-E-L. Treehowl Farm. Mm, okay. <clears throat> Fortunately... The owner of the farm, John Mortimer, mm. had seen the French forces land, laughed at them as they tried to Do struggle you know the what? cliff. I bet his pants are wet through, because <laughs> mine would be. I'd be howling. And then he headed straight for Fishguard to warn that there was an invasion. There's some inept wankers yeah. have just killed two dozen of their own men on the cliffs. You need to get your ass here now, because I don't know what they're doing. But they I w- quite clearly don't give a shit. So. <laughs> I want to say we're being invaded, but if they continue to die at the rate <coughs> at which I've observed, mm. we won't have to worry about them in three days. So no. it's up to you. <laughs> so, yeah, he'd gone to warn the people of Fishguard. Yes. But for him personally, this invasion had come at a particularly bad time because he was about to have hosted his own wedding. Poor man. <sighs> Well, they've pissed somebody off already. Mm. As a result of this, though, Mm. the farm that was going to be the headquarters of the French invasion Mm. just so happened to be packed to the rafters with alcohol. Right. In fact, 
pretty much every farm, cottage and shack within the local area was well stocked because Mm. three weeks before the invasion had started, a Portuguese merchant ship transporting very good quality wine Mm. had wrecked on the coast. And the good people of Fishguard and the surrounding areas (laughs) gleefully accepted this bounty from the sea and stocked up enough for years of the finest Portuguese wine. Amazing. The conscripted men, Hmm. you know, the former criminals who formed the majority of the force, decided that this was a sign from God to start drinking. (laughs) I'm on a mission from God. (laughs) And they did drink with much gusto. Discipline quickly broke down and much of the invasion force devolved into roving gangs of drunken men who began terrorising the local population and looting whatever they could find. Very good. William Tate was left with about 600 regular soldiers at his command and he had to assume that any hope of having the element of surprise was long gone as there were now just groups of drunk French criminals... (laughs) Just... Uh, well, let's just let's just say like between four, three and four hundred. Oh no, you're talking about eight hundred, up to eight hundred former French criminals who've been dropped off in Wales. Oh my god! And have found a massive amount of good quality wine and have gone right. We're going to die. Pretty oh, yeah. sure we're going to die. Yeah. May as well go last, out. Last last lap will be on us. Half caught, just having a good time. Mm. but at least for William you know he's lost the majority of his men he's lost the element of surprise he has no way of retreating because the French ships are already back round the coast of Cornwall by this point I imagine they are at hyper speed (laughs) well let's just say they're a lot lighter than they were when they when they dropped everyone off so they're like come on put it in fifth gear and they're off but Back at, to France. At least he knew that because he was in rural Wales, there would be no British troops nearby. No, we're, who's going to be stationed near there? They're worried about the war in Europe. Most of the forces are on the East Coast, you know, in case of invasion. Right. Because the British Foreign Secretary had said about the West Coast, it's like, no one would be stupid enough to try and invade us from that side. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> And although it was true that there were no regular British soldiers within hundreds of miles of Fishguard, no. it just so happened that Fishguard and Newport had the largest volunteer infantry force in the entirety of Wales, with four companies totalling 300 men. These were commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Knox, who was at a party four miles from Trehowell Farm oh. when he was informed of the invasion. <laughs> His time to frickin' shine. Yeah. He's been he's been waiting for this moment. Mm. Well, it gets even better because the Castle Martin troop of the Pembroke Yeoman Cavalry also happened to be only thirty miles away as they had been attending a funeral. <laughs> oh my god! Sad on one hand, yeah, possibly the best day of his life on another. Yes. Well, <laughs> you know, opportunities Lord... like this do not come about very often. Lord Cawdor, who was the head of this particular branch of the Yeoman Cavalry. Uh, he immediately ordered his men to saddle up and head for Fishguard. Mm-hmm. And would you believe, on the way, <laughs> he just so happened to bump into 250 members of the Pembrokeshire militia who were being led by Lieutenant Colonel Colby on routine exercises when they too were informed of the invasion. Oh my God. This meant that within less than 24 hours of landing, taking mm. into account desertion and the rapid gather- gathering of irregular British troops... The French force was now outnumbered. <laughs> it's going well. <laughs> your face. People can't see your face. It's no, a it's, it's, a good, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot really you can say to that, is there? Well, no. Now, there had been hopes... Uh, well, William Tate had hopes that the Welsh people would welcome the French invaders and offer to support the attack on the hated English. Because do you know what this is? Mm. Let me just tap this bookmark in anger. Right, do you know what it is? What is it? People think mm. if you live 
outside of London mm-hmm. that were not worth shit, right? And this even apparently is in other countries as well. No, I think I think this was an appeal to the sort of Gaelic solidarity. That no, we have the Welsh one. would like the Scots, like we said before, the Scots if they saw that there was an invasion happening, that they would join in and go. Finally, we can rectify the wrongs committed on our country by Edward Longshanks I, hundreds of years ago I think, and rise up in. I think the Scots would take a, a brew and a long, hard look. I don't think they'd rush into anything, if I'm going to be completely honest. And I think they'd make a measured decision well, on who to support. I don't think, for all the bluster, and it comes from both sides... Um, long-term rivalry between the English and the Scots, I don't think if push came to shove that they'd just desert. Mm. I, do, I, don't, I don't think it's as cut and dry about that. But, I mean, people have disregarded the North for a very, very, very long time. And they've also done the same to the Welsh. They do the same to the Cornish because apparently we're just bumbling idiots. Well, we're fucking not, actually. <laughs> drag the Cornish in. No one's saying the Cornish are bumbling idiots. We're saying they are terrifying warlike people and Mm. we're just happy that they haven't decided to invade the rest of England. (laughs) If they want to stay on their peninsula, third place will just do not rile them. (laughs) We don't. We let them have their own flag. Yes. They have their own flag. (laughs) Good, good, yes. (laughs) Do you want us to build a wall? Just... To keep us out, not to keep not to keep you in, just to keep us out. Yeah, you have to pay to go into Cornwall. You do. <laughs> this is this is like country. Cornwall facts now for people who don't live in the UK and have never been to Cornwall. Cornwall's at the bottom of England. Mm. It's like the Florida. Of it's the like UK, the Florida of the UK. It's England's wang. It is England's wang. Um it is its own country. It has its own flag. Mm. It's not. It technically it's part of England, but it it's has not. its own dialect. It, it has, has its own dialect, and you have to pay to drive into Cornwall. You have to pay a toll to drive in. Mm. You, it's free to leave. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but to get to actually get into Cornwall, you have to pay. The Welsh. He'd he he'd had hopes, Ed William, that the Welsh would rise in solidarity, and that no. actually. No. The further through Wales he marched, the more men would flock to his banner. Unfortunately, I mean, delusions. even if there were people who wanted to support, you know, yeah. a, that enthusiasm for giving one, you know, two fingers up to the English, yeah. kind of tempered by the fact that these French um, deserters were busy uh, looting and burning churches. Yeah, looting, burning ter- churches, raping, pillaging... Mm alcohol-driven, mm. narcissistic knobheads. And while the people of Fishguard and the surrounding areas, they did indeed start arming themselves, it was in order to fight off these yes, invaders, yeah. not to support them. No. <clears throat> Why would you? The most famous of these locals who armed themselves mm. was a woman Amazing. called Always Jemima is. Nicholas, Go on, who Jimmy. was the wife of a Fishguard cobbler. And she took it upon herself, upon hearing that there were these roving... There are some roving... nasty tools in a cobbler's mm. workshop, is all I'm going to say. I wouldn't like to get on the receiving end of them. She heard about these roving gangs of Frenchmen, and she decided she was going to go out with a pitchfork yeah. uh, and perform some citizens' arrests. And she managed to successfully arrest 12 Frenchmen single-handedly Menacing them with her pitchfork, oh. she marched them proudly into the town where she locked them in St. Mary's Church. Then she went out again to look for some more. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, girl. So there's another 12 men out of action yeah. of the invading force, which is one one-hundredth of the entirety of the... She, on her own, took out one one-hundredth, mm-hmm. one actual percentage point mm-hmm. of this invading force, was <laughs> taken out by Jemima... <laughs> Nicholas and her pitchfork. That is amazing. There were a few casualties on either side as the drunken French soldiers clashed with the angry locals. Mm -hmm. But by the evening of the 23rd, the three sets of irregular military Mm. had made it to Fishguard and had ensconced themselves in a pub called the Royal Oak to discuss strategy. Always the Royal Oak. 
There's still one in every town. to this day. You can go and visit the Royal Oak in Fishguard, should you wish it. Of course it is. Mostly, this conversation was about who would be placed in overall command to mm. lead the combined forces to the, let's face it, inevitable victory mm-hmm. against the invaders the following morning. It was eventually decided that Lord Cordor should be in charge, based mainly on the fact that he was a lord, mm-hmm. and as a result, he had the most expensive horse. Naturally, I need a wheelie. <laughs> For God's sake. We're getting towards the meat of it. Right. Are you ready? <clears throat> yeah. So, Lord Cordor is in, yes. in full charge. Yes, came with the big horse, best horse. I didn't say biggest horse, I said most, most expensive, expensive horse. horse. It might have been a cute little... <laughs> a Farabella pony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a rare breed Shetland pony that he insists... He doesn't ride it so much as he walks it to battle. It can nibble on people. Well, anyway, William Tate, while these guys have been arguing about who was going to beat him, he had fortified his remaining forces in positions about two miles from Fishguard. Right. Possibly preparing to attack the town, because he was that delusional. Um, (laughs) Yeah, delusion's real. But when his scouts reported back about the amount of troops that had been arriving in the town, he realised... Finally, that his chances of winning even a single battle were slim to none. Anything. Mm. Him winning anything. I mean, he's been losing since he arrived. The last, the last opportunity to keep his dignity had just gone. <laughs> Hoping to save face, though, he sent his second in command, Baron de Rochemur, and his mm. aide-de-camp, François Le Hanhard, mm. to seek out Thomas Knox who he erroneously thought was still in command, in order to discuss a conditional surrender. Okay. After the social awkwardness of trying to surrender to the wrong person, <laughs> the two French soldiers were directed to Lord Cordor. Yes. They ex- him there with the expensive pony. <laughs> it's him. Eating the kibble, the finest <laughs> pony kibble. <laughs> Golden nose bag. <laughs> 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 bloody hate horses <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> really do they explained that they would surrender immediately on the condition that they be allowed to return to France no. as soon as they could arrange transportation no that's not how it works well this is what these are their terms they're saying this is what we'll do we will surrender to you now what you will do we is will st- we will fight and you will fail and I will collect together <clears throat> this ramshackle collection of people that you've decided could invade the UK single-handedly. Because let's just... That's what he thought, isn't it? Delusion boy. And we will deal with you individually. Well, yes. that was their proposal. They were like, no. now, unfortunately, when we say we're going to return to France, we have just sent the boats off. So if <coughs> if you could send a letter, if you could send a letter... um telegram to Dover and get them to take it across um, and pass it on to the French forces um, if they can get to the directors right? they will probably have a boat to pick us up within just two to three months so we'll stay here on you know pissing in this, in this fish guard off yeah. but we promise we won't do any actual um, more looting than we've already done uh, and sorry about the churches we burnt down. Thank sorry you, about please. the churches. Sorry for pissing on your chips on your wedding day. Sorry for pissing on your chips on your funeral day. Sorry for pissing on your chips just having a nice day. No. No. Well, the leaders... Chips have been pissed on. The leaders of the three combined British forces, they decided to discuss the proposal over a light ale. And eventually... <laughs> As every decent person does. And eventually, they responded with a counteroffer. Go on. <clears throat> That William Tate surrender unconditionally on Goodwick Sands by 10am the next morning, mm. or the French will be attacked and killed. Yeah. Fair. Mm. Fair point, well, well made. Yeah. And by 8am the next morning, yes. to demonstrate how super serious they were, the British forces were lined up on the beach, ready to accept the surrender. Okay. If the French had actually been considering giving battle, they were finally dissuaded when they looked up at the headland and saw hundreds of regular British soldiers lined up and silently watching the scene below. It's like, oh, more reinforcements have come. And these are the proper, these are the red, you know, the red these coats. These are the red coats, <clears throat> yeah. In fact, these were not red coat soldiers. 
They were the local Welsh women, who were dressed in traditional scarlet cloaks and tall black felt hats. But to oh, be fair the to the women. French, most of them were pretty hungover by this point, and more than a few were suffering from the flux, meaning that they were more concerned with not having explosive diarrhoea than with who exactly they were surrendering to. Fair enough. And it was a way of trying to save face, like, look, we, we, we were totally outnumbered, look at all the soldiers now. Pretty sure they that one's got tits. Yeah. No, no, they're the finest that Britain has to offer. <laughs> Probably are. Bloke with a permanent tits. <laughs> you know, wearing G- a skirt. <laughs> you know, Jemima was up there with a pitchfork. Just sort of, see you. You better surrender, boy. The flintlock muskets and other weapons that the French had brought for their invasion were mm. piled on the beach, and the men were loaded onto ships to be transported into Fishguard Harbour, where they would be marched under guard 15 miles to Haverford West, because Haverford West was the biggest town in the area and the only place that could cope with having to keep over a 1,000 people under armed guard. Fair enough. And if our listeners from outside of the British Isles have never heard of Haverford West, (laughs) that's because it's still not a very big town. No. Again, why would you start an invasion here? Oh, With God. the rank and file surrendering on the beach, uh, sorry, <clears throat> while the rank and file were surrendering on the beach, Lord Cawdor and his yeoman cavalry rode up to Trehole Farm to receive William Tate's official surrender. Right. It was reported that Tate appeared confused when he was asked to symbolically give over his sword to Cawdor, like he had genuinely still expected a different outcome. No, sorry, still, no, no. He still no. couldn't process the fact that his great plan, his well-thought-out, perfectly executed scheme had failed. I can't... They could see that William Tate was struggling uh, emotionally. <laughs> Mentally, physically. He was having a tough time of it. So, to soften the blow and make him feel a little bit better, the British graciously put him up in the best hotel in Carmarthen for a couple of nights before he was moved to prison. Which I think is lovely. Come on, the chap just needs... I mean, He's having a fucking mental breakdown. (laughs) I think he had done when he landed, to be honest. We can deal deal with all the the legal rigmarole in a few days. Let's just let him have a feather pillow and a brandy. And then, then we'll go back to him. Eventually, William Tate was returned to France in a prisoner exchange. Oh, my. But he was never put in charge of any military campaign again. Anything. He wasn't in charge of fucking anything. Nothing. Not a pen and a piece of fucking paper was he in charge of. He should have had all rights revoked. Padded cell. No rights. Nothing. That man is delusional to the point of ridiculousness. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you know, the French did, a couple of years later, try the island plan again without the distractions. Uh, and it, Although they did land a force on Ireland, uh, it didn't work out and they were repelled successfully. Did it not? No. Did it not? Which is why the Irish are not currently speaking French. <coughs> I don't think the Irish should speak French anyway. No. Just have the point of, point of principle, they just wouldn't. The two days that Tate and his men spent on the rugged coast of West Wales is now known as the last invasion of mainland Britain. So while it is easy to mock William Tate and his unreasonable levels of confidence, he did manage to achieve something that Hitler never did. He got boots on the ground on mainland Britain. In 1853, the Pembroke Yeomanry received the battle honour Fishguard, making it the only regiment in the British army to have a battle honour for an engagement on the British mainland. Fantastic. And that is the story of the true last invasion of Britain, which I feel should be remembered in the same breath as 1066, because it was just as glorious in its own special way. I mean, it's a Benny Hill sketch is what it is. (laughs) being funny William the Conqueror turning in his grave oh god to see an invasion force from France brought so low look at him oh yeah so there you go that was the story of the last attempted invasion of Britain Uh, yeah I think we should include the word attempted because it was 
a pretty piss poor attempt. Well, what do you call it? I mean, it? It, was a, it was an invasion. It wasn't a successful invasion, but it was an invasion. If invasion is putting foreign troops into a different country... Yes. In, you know, ...in order to try and take it over, it was a successful invasion. They invaded. They were repelled pretty damn quickly, but they invaded. I also love the idea... But I think if we had no input into that scenario whatsoever, they were going to fail. I think we just sped up the process. It does feel that way. It does feel that way, doesn't it? It's like if we literally sat back with what a you cup mean, of like tea, the military? I think the locals would have taken care of it. The like locals say, would have taken them out. One wife of a cobbler mm. took a one percent of the entire force out on her own, mm. just because she didn't have any chores to do that afternoon and she was a bit bored. Mm. She managed to do that. She'd sorted the kids out. Mm. She'd, She'd been washing. to the shops. She'd been shops. A bit of time before she's, she's got to make tea. She's had tea's in the slow cooker. Yeah. She's all right. She's 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 got an afternoon. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. You're so, going to lock up 12 <clears throat> men with a pitchfork. That's what you're going to do. Yeah. Yes. These yeah. are my women, I yeah. tell you. And they'd managed to kill another percentage point of their forces, you know, climbing... The, just trying to land and get onto the mainland. Yeah, trying to get from ground zero up a cliff. Yeah, so that's 2% of their forces that were taken out by one Welsh cliff and one Welsh woman. Mm. That's, a, that's a massive amount, really, when you think about it. If every yeah. if every other citizen in Fishguard did that... Yeah, there would, there would be no invasion anyway. No. That's what I mean. It's just like, I think even if they just sat back with a cup of tea and a pair of binoculars, I think they would have just... It would have failed anyway. One's fallen on his own sword. Oh no, he's, he's getting up. Oh, he slipped again. Oh, that's him. Was, that's him. Oh dear. There it is. <laughs> the, why is that cho- man on fire? That man. That man's choked on his own vomit. <laughs> <laughs> he's just taken himself out. <laughs> oh no, the co- the collar's too tight. The collar's too. T- uh, mm. They didn't oh, tailor these oh. uniforms at all. <laughs> In fact, isn't that Barry's uniform? Barry! Barry, what was your number again? Yes, it is. It is! It's your uniform, Barry. Two years ago. Yes. Are you happy with that accent you did? Yeah. In rural Wales. Where, where, how did this character get to rural Wales? I am Wales? not doing a Welsh accent, Joe. I am not. Please. I am not. Because it's an affront to the Welsh and the Indian Indians. The Indians. Yeah. Oh, because it will quickly become a, a Punjabi fo- accent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. I was like, no, no. I know we're all about calling you know indigenous populations and stuff and not using pejorative terms, but I've never thought of calling the Welsh Indians before. <laughs> no, but my Welsh accent <laughs> travels quickly from Cardiff to the Punjab. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to do it. No, no worries. Nobody needs to hear that. What we'll do is, if I manage to coax it out of her, I'll add it on to the end of this episode for you. I'll try for a good hour. I will try. No, the recording may be worse quality because I'll try and get it on my phone. Mm. No worries. Here's hoping, guys. Mm. Hi there, it's Emma, chief organizer at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.